You know, we're, we're in this series that we're starting today. Whoops, almost fell off the back of it. The, uh, that we're starting today. Uh, it's called Generous Like My Father. Oh, I'll come back. I'll come up there with it in a second. I just want to give you guys some time. But there's this theme that we picked up that was going to continue on with this that we started talking about very intently, and there's, there's a shift that God is doing for us as a church at the moment. And He is really putting our attention on what matters. And what matters is God's kingdom forming within us. It's the heart change, the reality of, of Christ literally having our lives. And we spoke about it quite a lot over the last month. It's this thing of total surrender to Jesus. It's this thing where the reality of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control is what permeates our entire life. That we live from that place of peace. No matter what storm we're going through, no matter what trouble we're going through, no matter a good time or a bad time, that we're able to live from that place of inward peace. It's something you can't manufacture or, or, or put on. It's something that happens within you. The changes within you that you're able to live from that place. And there's this invitation that God is giving to us. is saying, look, I, for what I have, I say, for what I have for this community, you need that. But I, when I say that, I want to be careful because it makes it sound like it's something specific to Lifehouse. But, but Jesus taught that this is the place we live from. It's the place we live from. And it's a place we live from. You just are going to want to drop the bass and then the humming will go away. The, uh, when it's the place that we live from, it's a sign that we're actually living from the Spirit. You know, we, we, we can talk about living from the Spirit. We can talk about being surrendered to God. But what the Bible teaches us and what Jesus modeled for us is that when we do, the fruit, the, 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 it talks about the fruit. So in other words, what's produced, right? An apple tree, the fruit of the apple tree is apples. Right? You know it's an apple tree, not just by its look, but by the fact that apples form on it year after year. You can eat of that fruit. You see, oh, this is an apple tree because it produces apples. If the apple tree was producing oranges, you know, then it's not an apple tree. Jesus modeled for us taught us and scripture tells us that if we are living a life surrendered to Jesus and surrendered to the Holy Spirit, then the fruit that that will produce, the way that we'll know that is that our lives will be, the fruit of our lives will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That what comes from us. The gifts that come from us are things like healing. They come miracles, signs and wonders, prophecy, all these other things. 
you know, gifts of leadership, the gifts that these incredible musicians shared with us this morning. There's all kinds of gifts. But the fruit of our lives is that. And I, I believe there's, there's a seriousness that God's calling his church to in the season. It's not just Lifehouse. It's a call out to his church overall and saying, I, I don't want you just to, I'm going to use the word pretend. You know, I, I want you to take seriously me forming within you. This call of being a disciple, this call of total surrender to Jesus. And so while I'm talking about finances, and this is our series for the next little while, it's from this place that I'm going to be speaking about it from. Speaking about just, you know, who God is and who we are as a result of having His priorities in our lives. And so, this morning, the, the principle that I'm going to be speaking about is the fact that God is extravagantly generous and that our generosity is a response and a reflection of Him, that He's a good Father who gives good gifts to His children. We're going we're gonna to be looking at that, but I just I ask you to open yourself for this to go deep. You know, the, I don't want to just give a good sermon. I don't want to give a good talk. I want our lives to be changed. You know, my life, as I'm, as I'm preparing, is being changed. I mean, in worship this morning, it's just incredible. And certain things that have been, been a worry, a pressure, a concern for me, able just to lay them down and just go, okay, God, they're yours. They're yours. You know, and I'm sure there's many of us that have testimonies of things that God was doing in this time of worship this morning. And that is, you know, that's the beautiful thing. We worship God for who He is. But it's in that moment, right? It's that what, what worship does. When we come corporately together like this, it's this invitation to God to come and say, hey, we're surrendered to you. Worship, true worship is a life surrendered to Jesus. And so it's that thing of as we're there, it's not our minds wandering about our week or our focus on all kinds of different things. It's like, man, I'm going to, in this moment, for these 30 minutes, 40 minutes, I'm going to put my focus on Jesus. I'm going to put my focus on Jesus. And that so happened this morning because of, you just saw what happened as we did that, right? We, as we did that. And, and God just came. He just was here, moving amongst us. And, you know, there's all kinds of scripture I could go through. And I'm, really, I'm going to kind of go randomly through a list that you will find on our website. So if you're like, James, you went too far, fast on this, just go on our website under core values, under this core value, because that's what we're preaching through at this moment in time. Generous like my father, you will find the statement, and you'll find all these scriptures. So, you know, please go and look at the scriptures. Really go and look at them. Really dig deep into them, because you hearing me speak about them is not the same as you going and studying from them for yourself. But I'm going to cover them in general so that you can under, you know, understand there's some scripture we're going to go really deep into this morning. But just on this principle, right, we see in James 1.17 where it talks about every good and perfect gift comes from God. Psalm 103 tells us that God forgives our sins, that he heals all our sicknesses and our diseases, that he crowns us with love and compassion, and that he satisfies our desires with good things. 
John 3.16 reminds us that God so loves us, that he so loved the world that he created, that he sent his one and only son so that we would have eternal life. That Ephesians 1.6 tells us that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 tells us that Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 tells us that we are blessed abundantly so that we can abound in every good work. And then Matthew 7 verses 7 to 11 tells us that when we seek and knock that God answers and that he knows how to good give good gifts to his children. The promises of this, that God is generous, they're, they're seen, God's generosity is seen throughout nature. It's seen throughout his creation. You know, he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, we see it in everything that he's created, that he is generous. He's so generous that he gave us his son so that what we could never do, he did for us. That he became the perfect sacrifice so that we could have eternal life. That's the generosity. He gives not only of things to us, not only the provision we need, things along those, but he gave us his son. He gave us his son. That's how generous our father is. It's, it's something that should be without question in our lives. It needs to be without question in us for us to live in the abundance that God actually have, has of us. As long as we're trying to be in control when it comes to God's generosity, finances, things along those lines, we, we aren't participating in the kingdom dynamics, in the kingdom generosity that is, that is God's. We could never outgive God. And we could never outgive Him. You know, we, we cannot pay the price for the sin of the world. You know, we cannot send rains. We cannot, you know, do what God can do. But what I want to look at, and we're going to focus this morning, is in Luke, in the book of Luke. We're going to focus from Luke 14 through till 16, maybe into 17. Because I want us to get this heart, this understanding of, of finances in the kingdom. So turn with me to Luke 14. We're going to start in verse 25. What I want to explain to you, first of all, again, you know, the, the little breaks like Luke 14, 15, 16, they weren't there in the original letters. We've put them in over time so that we can, it's, we can refer to passages, we can refer to sentences, we can, you know, all be on the same page. We know where to turn to. But that was not naturally how the letter was broken up. It was a book. Luke was, was, a, was a book. And so Luke 14, 25 to Luke 17 um, I don't have the end part here. Luke 17, around verse 10 or 13. It's all one, it's all one thought. It's all one section. It's like the story, Jesus is this, is this dialogue that Jesus is having with this crowd that has Pharisees in it, that has his disciples in it, that has sinners in it, that has you know, all these people in it. And it's this continual story that's going on there. It's that, so it's important that we read it in that context. And so we're going to start here in Luke 14, verse 25. And it, it says here that large crowds were traveling with Jesus. 
And so this large crowd, he turned to them and he says, if any one of you comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And he goes on and he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone will see and ridicule you, saying that this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Then he says, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Then says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's neither fit for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And these are strong words. And if we miss the context of what he's saying, we, we focus on the fact he's saying, oh man, I've got to hate my mother and father and brothers and sisters. The, the point of what Jesus is saying, nothing can hold you back. If you're not willing to give up everything, even your family, to come and follow me, he says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In other gospels, it talks about, you know, deny everything and pick up your cross and follow me. There's, there's no lukewarm position with Jesus. There's no, I'm half in, I'm half out. There's no, ah, well, you know, I really want God my way but I want to follow you too. He doesn't go, yeah, that's awesome. Come follow me. That's really good. I mean, these are strong words to people that are following him. They're following him, right? I mean, literally, he's traveling from place to place and this large crowd is around and he turns to them and goes, by the way, if you're following me, don't bother unless you're willing to deny everything. I mean, they knew what a cross was. They understood it was a Roman, you know, torture device to kill you. He's like, if you, don't, if you don't pick up that, if you're not willing to, to give up everything, if you're not willing to die to follow me, if you're not willing to forsake your family traditions, your, your family, their priorities. I mean, he went as far at times of saying when people are like, hey, we want to come and follow you, but I got to go back and bury this person. He's like, let the dead go bury their own dead. Now, these are, these are strong words that we, when we want the world and we want the gospel, we compromise on. And we go, well, we couldn't have meant that. But no, he means that. You know, he's, he says to us, look, you can't have it both ways. You cannot have it both ways. You've got to have, it's either me, either choose me or don't, but count the cost. Whole point where he starts off this whole section is like, if you're going to follow me, count the cost of what it's going to cost you to follow me because it'll cost you everything. Everything. Everything in your life, it'll cost you to follow me. Am I worth it? If I'm not, don't bother. 
Don't come after me. Don't say you're a follower of me if you're not willing to give up everything to follow. This is huge. And I'm not saying this from a standpoint. It's, it's a convicting statement for myself. I, I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to us. Because there's so often in this culture where we want, and the church, the, you know, when we're in the, unfortunately in the church where we want the world and the benefits of it, and we want the kingdom. And he's like, you've got to choose one or the other. You've got to choose. And it'll cost you everything if you choose the kingdom. Whoever wants to save their life, you'll lose it. But whoever wants to give up their life for my sake, you'll find eternal life. You'll find life. But it will cost you everything. And it's this, man, it's this holy, sober moment that I don't want to move on from. We, we need to let this sit in our hearts and in our souls. It costs everything. Everything. It means laying down your priorities. It means laying down your dreams. It means laying down what you want. It means laying down, you know, what the world says you should have. It means laying it all down for him. But the church is ineffective in this world because we keep trying to have the world and not, you know, we're not willing to give it up for him. And so there's this invitation of total surrender and an invitation that he says, if you're not willing to, then please leave. That's what he says. It's crazy. It's definitely not a church growth strategy. <laughs> definitely not, you know? You won't find this one in any book on how to grow your church. It's, <laughs> it's worth laughing at that. <laughs> I can hear people like, I don't know if I should laugh. I don't know what I should do. <laughs> Awkward. In the next verse, it says that now the tax collectors and sinners, we're now in Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. They're like, what? So those who had nothing to lose were quite willing to follow the tax collectors and the sinners. They're gathering around to hear him. And then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they mutter, oh, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And it starts Jesus down a series of parables that he tells. He starts off with the parable of the lost sheep, which is where he talks about the fact that, you know what? If there's a shepherd with a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off, he'll leave the 99 to go and find that lost sheep. And then he, to this crowd, he tells the, the parable of the lost coin and says, you know, if this person loses their coin, won't they search high and low until they find it? Aren't, aren't, aren't these sinners more valuable than that coin? And then he finishes with the parable of the lost son. 
And he makes this direct comparison between the attitude of the Pharisees and his attitude. Because in the parable of the lost son, you've got this son that goes and he squanders everything. He, he asks his, you know, rudely asks his father for his inheritance. And then he goes and spends it on himself. You know, wild living, you know, prostitutes, partying, the like. And he gets to this place where he's like, he's lost everything. Where he's lost everything. And it's in that moment of losing everything that, he, that he's like, you know what, I should go back to my father's house because at least in that moment, at least in my father's house, you know, I'll, I'll, as a servant, even if I just go back as a servant in my father's house, I'll be better off than I am where I am right now. And he goes back and his father lo- welcomes him with loving arms and puts his signet ring on his fing- finger, which is a, a signifying of his acceptance back into the family and, and, and holds this giant celebration for him. And then there's this older brother who comes to the father in this parable and it's like, what are you doing? Why are you throwing a party for him? I've been... I've been serving you, I've been doing this, I've been doing that for you, and you haven't ever thrown a party for me. And, and the father responds, it's like, son, all this is yours. Any, any of it you wanted, you could have had at any point in time. But your, your brother was lost, and he's now been found, and we've got to celebrate that. We've got to celebrate that. So he starts off with this thing of, 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 guys, it's going to cost you everything to follow me. Everything. So don't, don't, don't follow me unless you're willing to give it all up. Tells these different parables. Finishes with a parable where there's this son that didn't understand the value of what he had. And he had to go. He had to, he had to leave his father's house and go and discover the world and the valuelessness of it before he was like, oh my gosh, I need, I need to follow you. I need to follow you. And the reason Jesus does this invitation and we say it is that if we would rather have the world, we should go and pursue the world until we really understand what the world is. Like we should stop. It would be better to fully embrace the world and not come to church, not say you're a Christian, that fully embrace the world if you want the world. You know, do it. Go for it. Because it'll only be then that you understand what you've lost. It's only when you've got to the end of yourself that it's like you truly get your absolute need for God. But as long as you think you can have both, Jesus is like, don't, you, you actually, he's like, you don't actually have it. You don't actually have me. You know, I mean, we see this in the book of Revelations where he's like, hey, look, if you're hot, if you're neither hot or cold, I spit you out of my mouth. But right? he's like, if, you're, if you half have me, you don't have me because you either fully have me or you don't. And so if you're walking a life where you half have him, it's best you, if you, don't want to, if you don't want to give up everything for him, then don't bother pretending. Go embrace the world. When it becomes detestable in your mouth, when it becomes a place where you're like, okay, I'm exhausted from pursuing the world. This is not working. I need Jesus. Then you'll come and see the value of him. You'll see the value. I have a friend who leads a church, and he talks about being inoculated against the gospel. You know, and, and with a, with, with, if you understand the analogy, when you have someone that gets a vaccine, you give them a little bit of a virus, but just, just enough that they can build up a resistance to it. 
You know, so it doesn't make them sick. It doesn't it doesn't harm them, kill them, but it it allows the body to be like, okay, you know, this now that I've had a little bit of the chickenpox virus put in me, and my body fought it off, it now knows how to fight that off. So you know, it'll never get me. And he says, so often what happens is we end up inoculated against the gospel. When we live that life where we want things our way, but we're trying to do the church thing, we end up inoculated about the truth of Jesus. We don't recognize our absolute need for him. And, and we, we live compromised life, and we actually have nothing and don't know it. Because Jesus says it costs everything. Jesus says it costs everything. Then we get to Luke 16, after, after this parable of this lost servant. In Luke 16, verse 1, so again, this is all the same interaction. This is all the same interaction. He's telling the same group of people, the same crowd. So he's just rebuked the Pharisees. They're still standing there. So he's like, tells this, these parables to the Pharisees, figuring they won't get it anyway. You know? And then... He turns to his disciples and he says this. He says, he tells another parable. He says, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is going to take away my job. I'm not, going to be str- I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job, I'll do here so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. Then he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. And then the, <laughs> the master found out this was going on, and he commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. And then Jesus says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are the, peop- than are the people of the light, as in followers of him. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He then says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God 
and money. After that, it says the Pharisees were pretty angry at him for saying that because they loved money. So often, discussions in church around money have to do with, well, you have to follow this rule and follow this rule and follow this rule. And so often the discussion in our hearts is, what's the minimum I need to do? As we're talking on this series for the next four or five weeks, the part position we've got to come from isn't, what's the minimum I need to do? But God, what are you asking me to do? Because as we go through Scripture, we're going to see that it says like everything we have belongs to Him. It's not the 10% of your check or you know, 15 or whatever is His. It's all His. And we generally, because we don't want this whole thing of, we don't want to give up our life. So we want control. Right? We want control. And we want, we don't want, we're afraid. I don't know if we don't want to. I think we really, a lot of us, we really want to believe we can trust God. We really want to believe that He is that generous and, and that we really can entrust our lives to Him. The difficulty we run into is that it also changes our priorities. Is that entrusting our lives to Him means that how we order our lives, the goals that we have, the things that are important to us have to fully get surrendered and we go, okay, Lord, what are you saying is important? What are you telling me my life is about and what I'm supposed to do? This following Jesus will cost everything. It'll cost everything. And it's incredible, right? This, this thing about can we be entrusted with worldly wealth? I've heard people talk and just saying, look, part of the reason the church is in such a mess is because we can't be trusted with world. We can't, we, we, we can't be trusted with money, let alone spiritual things. You know, we're, we're not willing. If, if we're trying to control if we're like, no, I can't, Lord, I'm not willing to even do what it is you say in regards to finances, then how are we ever, is he ever going to entrust us with the things of the Spirit? This series on money is not going to be about what you need to do it is going to be about how you can live a kingdom life with God, the invitation that He gives you. The invitation that He gives you, He calls you into this kingdom reality that says everything you have belongs to me. Everything you have. You know? Your life belongs to me. Your children belong to me. Your spouse belongs to me. Your, your possessions belong to me. Your finances belong to me. And we get to discover together 
this, on this beautiful journey with God of, of what surrendered life looks like. But we've got to remember where we started, that principle that we started from, that God is extravagantly generous. And our generosity is a response and reflection of Him. He's a good Father who gives good gifts to His children. That's who He is. The one that says, it will cost you everything to come and be part of my family. It will cost you everything to follow me. Is one who is extravagantly generous and who gives good gifts to his children. It comes down to our response of, do we believe it? Do we believe it? Do we believe who he says he is? And are we willing to respond to him in every area of our life, including finances, that that is the truth. We will never have it both ways. We'll never have it both ways. So Lord, I just pray. I pray for everyone, starting with me, the, the reality of just how good you are, how generous you are, and how faithful you are, and that you give good gifts to your children would be the place I live from in everything. And that I can entrust you. <laughs> we can entrust you with every area of our lives. Help us, God. Meet with us in our homes the same way you met with us this morning as we worship you, as we spend time with you. You form your character, your peace, your joy within us. You tell us to be cheerful givers when we're talking about finances, not grudging ones. But that's not an excuse for us to go, oh, good, I don't need to give because I'm not cheerful. <laughs> we want to become cheerful and joyful. We want to be changed so that we live from a true belief, God, true belief, true faith, that you really are a provider, that you really are generous, that you really do give good and gifts to your children. Mm. Amen. <laughs> Grandma, thank you. Graham, I'll hand it over to you to do the announcements at the end. <laughs> I know, there you are, perfect. There is a microphone somewhere. Ah, right there. Thank you, James. Wow, what a powerful message this morning, eh? Praise God. Praise God. So thankful. Uh, just wanted to, first of all, first and foremost, just welcome anyone who is visiting us today, we hope that you have really been encouraged this morning and just full of hope and joy in who your father is. Uh, and, and so thankful you're here. So please don't leave without us getting to know you a little bit. We welcome you to join us at the table at the back. Get us, get you, get us your information. Uh, there's cards uh, on the floor next to you at the end of the pews that you're welcome to fill out. 
we'd love to connect with you and uh, get to know you a little bit more. So please don't leave this morning without doing that. Um, also, uh, just want to prepare the ushers, if they can prepare the, the baskets to come around. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about, about how you can give to Lifehouse uh, and, and his kingdom and the growth of what he's doing here. So there's numerous ways. You can pay, uh, you can pay by push pay. We have a Lifehouse app as well. And if, uh, if you hold your camera up to this code, it'll take you right to that app to give through the Lifehouse app. And there are also envelopes. If you want to give cash, you can do that. And something else that I'd like to encourage everyone as well is that you can actually go on automatic withdrawal uh, from your account. We can, you, we can do that as well. And so if, you, if it's easier for you to just set it up on once a month or whatever that might be, you can set that up as well. Just talk to uh, some of our uh, some of the leaders here and, and even Sinek can give you more information on that. Um, so... Uh, before the so just before the baskets go around, I just wanted to share one more thing, and it comes off of such a wonderful scripture that James talked about this morning in James, uh, in in James one, and I just want to read the second half of that scripture because I think it's so relevant for us. Um, it says that he, so every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change. Like shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So I'm just so encouraged by not only is our father a, a God of, of good gifts, that gives good gifts to his children, but he really considers his children his first fruits. So may we give our first fruits back to him, right? In that same attitude of prayer. So just pray with me for just for a moment. Father, thank you so much for this word you've given us, Lord, this morning, that you are a generous father and you are teaching us to have generous hearts and live generous lives. So, Father, as we give this morning, may we give with a joyful and generous heart that you've given us. May you bless these first fruits that we give back to you. And we thank you for how you are going to provide such abundance in every area of our life and that we can expect things in unexpected ways that you will provide for us and you will give such wonderful ways that we may not even see or feel or know, but we can trust that you are a God of good gifts. And we thank you, Lord. We pray this in your blessed name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So please, uh, baskets can go around now, please. And uh, a couple last things. Uh, we have our ministry team joining us on the side. And so if you want prayer for anything, uh, if you want a word from God, if you want a prophetic word over your life, or if there's someone in your life that needs prayer, please take a moment and join our team to, to my left, your right, in just a moment. And if there's other things that you want prayer for, or if there's prayer requests that are on your heart, the people that you want to pray for, we actually have a team that's dedicated to praying for this community and for individuals in this community. And so if there's a prayer